So welcome to this edition of On The Pulse, in which CMS experts provide updates on key developments bringing innovation and disruption to the life sciences and healthcare sector. I'm your host, Nick Beckett, and today we're looking in the topical area of compulsory licensing. I'm delighted to be joined by three of the CMS life sciences and healthcare specialists who regularly advise clients in this sector. So we have Jonathan Chu in Hong Kong, we have Sheena Jacob in Singapore, and we have Thomas Hurst in Germany. So welcome to all three of you. So the background, I think, um, on compulsory licenses requires just something of an understa understanding of the patent system and the purpose of the patent system, particularly to reward innovation. So in essence, it's a bargain that's struck between an inventor on the one hand and a state on the other. And in return for the inventor fully disclosing the invention to the state in the form of the patent application, the state will grant the inventor uh, a monopoly for a period of time. And globally, that monopoly period tends to be 20 years. Um, but when you're looking at a sector the li like the life sciences and healthcare sector, the cost and time of getting a product to, to market, the complications in the research and development process are such that actually, by the time the product's got to market, the effective patent term is substantially less than 20 years. So although you know estimates vary, there's, there's certainly uh, a lot of talk of the cost of well over a billion dollars, maybe you know, well over double that, uh, and a time of you know, 10, 12 years before a product might come to market. So the effective patent term is much shorter. And so there are various mechanisms that are put in place in different jurisdictions to try to find a balance. So in some jurisdictions, you'll have patent term extensions or in Europe, supplementary protection certificates, or you might grant exclusivity to um, generic companies, maybe first generics coming to market. So there are some mechanisms to try to redress that balance in the pharmaceutical world. And then occasionally there are exceptional times where there is deemed to be a need um, for society to have the ability to compulsorily license the relevant patent. And that typically falls into two broad scenarios. On the one hand, you have a scenario where uh, the patent owner is not fully exploiting the patent, either at all or to the fullest extent. And maybe a competitor, maybe a private company, another third party would like to do so. And it's beneficial for society to have that product made. So in those situations, maybe governments, uh, intellectual property offices will grant compulsory licenses. The second situation might be in the case of a public emergency, a health emergency such as uh, COVID. So uh, in terms of compulsory licenses, there's obviously a lot of detail on this. CMS has put together an expert guide on compulsory licensing in uh, well over 20 jurisdictions. And obviously that's a, a, a useful reference uh, tool and uh, resource for people. Um, and we've definitely had a lot of good feedback on the guide and a lot of interest in it, particularly during times of COVID where it, there is an evident you know, desperate need for vaccines, for therapeutic drugs, for ventilators, for PPE, et cetera, et cetera. So that the issue of compulsory uh, licenses has become, you know, very live and topical. And we certainly saw in Israel, uh, the earlier stages of the pandemic in uh, March last year, uh, Israel granting a compulsory license in respect of an antiviral medicine collector. And I think we'll, we'll touch on that. A little bit later, also more recently in the press, a lot of discussion about potential for a patent waiver or patent waivers 
for COVID vaccines. And um, we've obviously seen disparity in the approaches of the US administration, and for example, the European Commission. Um, and again, we'll look at those. So in this podcast, we're going to be looking at those sorts of issues. To begin with, uh, I want to touch on the requirements for how one obtains a compulsory license, and then we'll look at um, the rights of the right owner, of the patent owner, what they can do about it, what they're entitled to in such a situation. And then we'll finish coming back to um, look at compulsory licenses in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. So as we're starting uh, to look at the requirements for obtaining compulsory licenses, maybe I should just note that actually they don't only arise in respect of patents. Typically, we will be focusing on patents. They're certainly the main right um, where one sees them and certainly in the life sciences and healthcare sector uh, that, are, that is applicable. For trademarks, um, there aren't generally any specifically uh, imposed regulations on compulsory licensing of trademarks, but for copyright in a number of countries such as the United States, there are compulsory license regimes for copyrighted works in uh, some situations. But we're going to stick, uh, as I say, predominantly to patents. Um, they are considered a relatively say, drastic measure, a, uh, you know, quite draconian measure. Um, and um, obviously, therefore, there are strict procedural rules and controls about how governments uh, go about granting compulsory licenses. So maybe to begin with, we could have a look at those requirements um, to see who grants them and under what circumstances uh, they may be granted. So maybe, Jonathan, could I pass over to you to give us an overview on that one? Thanks, Nick. Sure. Based on my knowledge, the uh, competent authority that grants compulsory licenses varies between jurisdictions. It could be, it could be simple or it could be um, you know, a, multi, a multi-tiered or uh, um, you know, a, a situation where different uh, bodies would deal with different types of applications. So, for example, in China, the competent authority to grant a compulsory license is the China National Intellectual Property Administration, CNIPA. Hong Kong is a little bit different. The court can issue compulsory licenses for standard patents. Then we've got the chief executive and council that can issue compulsory license for government use of patents during a period of extreme urgency. And the director of health can issue compulsory licenses for import export without a hearing. And it would be during a period of extreme urgency declared by the chief executive in council. For other jurisdictions, the competent authority can be courts. So, for example, in Singapore, the High Court of Singapore has the authority to grant compulsory licenses. In Germany, the court can grant compulsory licenses. The German federal government can also also issue use orders to legalize the use of concerned patents by any third party. So, in general, the compulsory license can be issued under circumstances such as insufficient exploitation or improper exploitation of patents. you know, an example would be where the, the, the patent is being exploited in a monopolistic way. There are national emergencies or public interest. According to the TRIPS, the trade-related intellectual property, uh, tra- trade-related aspects of intellectual property, um, control, compulsory licenses can be granted to pharmaceutical products. So may I touch on the German uh, situation? Um, and um, as um, Jonathan already pointed out, we have two options in Germany where um, 
under the German Patent Act, a patentee um, has to accept that um, a third party is legally using its patent, uh, its granted patent. The first um, option is a I would call it typical option, um, a typical compulsory license, um, according to Section 24, German Patent Act, um, which is applied by a specific third party for a specific use uh, of a specific patent. Um, and that um, um, application must be filed with the Bundespatentgericht, it's a German federal patent court. Um, and we Fortunately, we have seen um, um, cases now, um, although this is a rare option. And the second alternative is the so-called Benutzungsanordnung. It's a governmental use order, which also has been touched um, by um, Sheena and, and Jonathan already, and also Nick has pointed uh, to that option. That's an order um, of a German federal government, according to Section 13 German Patent Act, and such order would legalize the use of the uh, concerned patent by any third party, which means um, no third party has to apply specifically for the use. Um, but on the other hand, um, the patentee can defend against, against such um, a governmental order, a use order, and uh, apply for legal review. Um, but also, very interestingly, because we have this um, different court systems in Germany, and he has to go to the uh, federal administrative court because it's 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 a it's an order by the German uh, federal government, um, and um, this um, this option has been put in in the focus into the focus uh, beginning of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic um, last year since um, the competency um, has been delegated to the Ministry of Health under Section 5, Subsection 2, Number 5, German Infection Protection Act, which was, um, if I remember correct, um, uh, or passed through the Parliament in um, April last year or March last year. And um, so um, the competency to grant or to order such such uh, use um, has been shifted to the Ministry of Health, and um, it could be further delegated to uh, subordinated administrative authorities. But so far, although um, the pandemic is is uh, running now for more than a year, we haven't seen such use order, um, which is very interesting in that context. Coming back to the typical um, compulsory license option, um, as I mentioned, uh, we have seen in Germany four cases now um, where um, a third party has applied for compulsory license. And um, many of those cases have gone to the two instances we have for that cases. Um, the first instance is the uh, Federal Patent Court, Bundespatentgericht. And then um, any decision made by the uh, Federal Patent Court can be appealed uh, before the um, Bundesgerichtshof, which is the highest court in Germany um, in the in the normal uh, jurisdiction. Um, the, it's Federal Court of Justice. Um, the basic rule for such compulsory license um, requires two, mainly two uh, things. First, the license seeker must have within a reasonable period of time unsuccessfully attempted to obtain a permission from the proprietary of the patent to use the invention on a reasonable commercial terms and conditions for a specific product. And the second condition is um, 
the public interest must call for the grant of the compulsory license. How is the court or how are the court handling these two conditions? So um, the Federal Court of Justice um, following, uh, interestingly, the Federal PEP Court has emphasized in the um, in the decision regarding the cholesterol lowering drug Praluent uh, in 2019, um, that the first requirement, meaning um, that you have to attempt to get uh, a license uh, from the patent proprietary, um, this requirement is applied very strictly um, and particularly, and that has been pointed out by this decision uh, or in this decision, um, the mere tactical first license request in light of a pending patent uh, infringement proceeding isn't sufficient um, uh, in, in many cases. Uh, in the specific case, um, it, if I remember correct, it was only um, less than two months before the oral hearing in the infringement proceedings were conducted um, that um, um, <clears throat> the first um, uh, attempt to get a license from the patentee was uh, undertaken and that was too late and this um, decision was already made also by the federal patent court so the both courts in both instances were in line and obviously this um, conditions and this strict handling of, of this condition um, has been confirmed again just recently in April 2021, where we have seen in Germany the first case um, regarding a medicinal uh, medical device regarding heart valves. It's it's a it's a case between um, Merrill Life Sciences and Edward Life Science, uh, where several infringement proceedings are uh, pending in Germany, but also abroad. Um, so it's it it's it's a really multi-jurisdictional patent dispute here, and. Um, what we heard, because the recent decision is not yet public, what we heard is that um, the Federal Patent Court has denied um, the grant of the compulsory license because um, of the insufficient attempt before um, 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 the, the, the Merrill Life Science event or applied for the compulsory license. And um, this multi-jurisdictional component of this patent dispute uh, shows also that in various other jurisdictions, um, there are different defenses um, brought forward by Merrill Life Sciences, but also in other jurisdictions, the public interest defense compulsory license uh, applications uh, are pursued currently. And this uh, is a pending case line, um, and we we will be interested um, uh, how um, the other uh, courts in, in, in other jurisdictions will decide. Um, as I said, uh, we had we had now five uh, four cases uh, um, where it was applied for compulsory license. The first case was uh, um, regarding uh, the pharmaceutical product polyferone. Um, it it dates back to the 90s, uh, 1990s, and in that case, um, the um, federal patent court granted a compulsory licensing uh, license. Uh, but that was cancelled by the Federal Court of Justice in the appeal. And in this spe specific case, um, 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 the, the Federal Court of Justice hasn't seen that there's a public interest uh, for granting the compulsory license. And what was also very interesting in this case um, is that um, the potential abuse uh, of the patent key is not required to, um, uh, for a public interest. But also what is really 
important um, if there are alternative equivalent trucks on the market, um, then in, in the normal case, you wouldn't have a public interest um, uh, fighting for you uh, for granting a, um, a composite license. And last but not least, and that is the most uh, um, famous uh, decision um, uh, or case um, in Germany, it, it relates to the HIV drug Isentress, Ralta um, Gravir. Um, that was a request for compulsory license uh, by way of interim decision in expedited um, 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 proceedings. So very fast uh, as an interim decision. It was confirmed by the Federal Court of Justice, the grant of the compulsory license. And um, and what is also very interesting, because the main proceedings were conducted uh, further, um, and in the main proceedings there were several other remarks of the courts regarding clarification, how the several conditions uh, of those uh, um, of, of the provisions regarding the compulsory licensing has to be handled. And also, and um, that's my last remark on this case, um, what is very interesting, the patent um, um, uh, at issue was cancelled later, and that also brought something on, on the spot uh, with respect to the royalty. Having now looked at um, how, you know, how one applies for a compulsory license and the requirements and criteria in different jurisdictions, um, and 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 where you where you apply and in what circumstances they may be granted. I'd like to turn to um, the perspective of the rights owner, uh, who's obviously impacted by the grant of a compulsory license, and to look at what they can do about it. Uh, I think we'll come on and talk a bit about compensation or royalties, remuneration that they might uh, be entitled to. But before going there, I'd like to uh, ask whether compulsory licenses can be revoked or terminated. Could the patent owner go to the court and ask um, that it be uh, terminated for particular reasons? So in China, for example, one can terminate compulsory licenses if the patent expires or if the term of the compulsory license as granted expires. Uh, or the reasons underlying the grant of the compulsory license cease to exist. And similarly, it's possible to terminate compulsory licenses in Singapore. Um, there are actually expressed provisions about revocation and termination of these licenses in all the various um, IP laws, such as the Patents Act, uh, Plant Varieties Act, etc., um, to terminate. And how this is done essentially is that um, the patentee or actually any interested party can apply to court um, to terminate the license on the basis that the grounds on which the license was originally granted um, have ceased to exist. Um, in other words, such licenses do not have to continue indefinitely. And similarly, um, in the case of governments, um, compulsory license use of a patented invention or the form of IP, a, um, a party can apply to court to terminate the license. And again, the ground is similarly on the basis that court would be satisfied that whatever the circumstances that gave rise to the right to government used no longer exist. So I would imagine in the case if um, it's granted because of COVID-19 and if the pandemic ends, then the 
application would be successful. And Thomas, what about for Germany? Thank you, Nick. Um, there are various situations under which the compulsory license can terminate uh, or be revoked. Um, there's no specific uh, uh, situation mentioned in the law, but uh, for instance, or there is actually one, one specific situation, but the, the main situation is that um, the Federal Patent Court can order uh, a limitation uh, in time um, for the compulsory license and then automatically when the time is run out, um, uh, the, the compulsory license is terminated certainly. Um, the, the scenario mentioned in the law is that um, the um, patentee is, um, um, is entitled to request the revocation of the compulsory license if the circumstances upon which the order um, has been made um, um, are no longer apply. Um, so then he can request first from the composite licensee um, that um, the, the composite license is, um, is terminated or declared to be terminated. But if the composite licensee does not react, um, um, the patentee can file a respective um, lawsuit for revocation at the federal patent court. Um, so the court has, decide, uh, has to decide again. And finally, and that's also um, mentioned uh, implicitly, um, certainly the compulsory licensee and the patentee can terminate um, the compulsory license by agreement, uh, which is the preferred <laughs> thing, uh, um, uh, certainly because you avoid a um, court proceeding. Um, and, um, and that, uh, was also already touched um, by the Isentress uh, uh, case. Um, um, the composite license automatically, uh, automatically terminates um, if the relevant patent is cancelled, expires or becomes invalid, which was the case in the Isentress um, case because it was invalidated uh, through the proceeding uh, initiated uh, um, by, uh, by the composite licensee. Um, so the, the composite license in that case had also uh, only an interim application uh, of, a, of about um, six months. The other aspect is that um, um, has been also clarified in the Isentrust case is that all products already sold are covered certainly by the compulsory license once it is terminated. Um, but if the obligation um, to pay royalties on that products covered um, um, if this obligation has become uh, due and, and payable already, um, and the royalties have become or, uh, payable already, this licensee must still pay such royalty for the time uh, the compulsory license was in effect. So that's that's really important because that happened also in the Isentrust case, um, which is a little bit curious um, 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 because um, certainly you could have asked, uh, well, you could have argued um, that the patent was invalid from the very beginning, and why should he pay for that, uh, which is found um, um, uh, null and void afterwards. But um, that's that's a specific of the German license, uh, uh, German law regarding licenses, um, but that specific um, law has applied also in the case of composite licenses, which was clarified in that case. On the other hand, if you have a governmental use order, um, and the uh, use order must be revoked um, or can be revoked at any time by the government, certainly. Um, but the patentee has a claim for revocation, revocation if the situation has changed. 
and can certainly also file an application for revocation within the administrative courts in that situations. Okay, so having having looked at um, the possibility of termination or revocation uh, of the compulsory license, uh, I think another um, uh, aspect that the patent owner would be very interested in is regarding what financial compensation they may be uh, entitled to. So in China, certainly there is the provision for reasonable royalties to be due to the patentee and those the level of those royalties should be negotiated between the parties and if they're not able to agree between themselves, then a provision for the Chinese uh, patent office, the Chinese IP office, to make a ruling. Um, how is the situation on financial remuneration in Hong Kong, Jonathan? Well, it's a, it's a similar approach, Nick, uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, royalties can be paid to the proprietor of the patent granted in accordance with the relevant agreement or legislation. But that would only be to the extent that such a contract could have been fulfilled from the existing manufacturing or other capacity of the proprietor or licensee. But it would be payable notwithstanding the existence of circumstances rendering him ineligible for the award of such a contract. And where government use is made of an invention, right, the government would pay what one, the proprietor, of the patent, or to if there is an exclusive license in force to the exclusive licensee, it would be they, they would pay compensation for any loss resulting from that party not being awarded any contract to supply the patented product, or to perform the patented process or supply such a thing made by means of the patented process. Now, the interesting thing in Hong Kong is that there's a limit on the total amount of remuneration to be determined by the director for the export compulsory license. And that would be that it is not to exceed 4% of the total purchase price of the product payable by the import compulsory licensee to the seller of the product in the exporting member. Now, if the remuneration cannot be agreed, either of the parties may apply to the court for determination of the amount payable. And determining the amount the court would take into account on all factors relevant to circumstances, including, for example, the economic value to Hong Kong of the use of the relevant patented product, humanitarian or non-commercial factors relevant to the grant of the license. And in Singapore, Sheena, is it a similar situation to Hong Kong? It is quite similar to Hong Kong, although it's not identical. Um, and I should, at the, outside, at the outset, say that in the case of copyright, um, the, it is actually the Copyright Tribunal that determines um, the royalty payable. But aside from copyright, um, essentially um, the way the compulsory licensing provisions work um, for patents is that the parties are meant to agree on the remuneration payable. And only if that is not possible, um, then the parties, one or the other, would apply to the court uh, to determine what is the remuneration payable. Um, and unlike Hong Kong, there is no um, cap on that remuneration. And under the Patents Act, um, the way in which it is calculated is based on what is the economic value of the license. And that is how the court would. Um, determine remuneration. Um, but there is a difference when we're looking at government use of patents. 
Um, in the case of governments, interestingly, there is no remuneration payable to the patentee um, when products are imported and used in Singapore, where the patentee has already received or will receive um, any other remuneration in respect of the health product. And so perhaps if that product has already been put on the market in another country and then it is imported um, into Singapore, arguably in that situation, no further remuneration would be payable under this law. So, but obviously because we don't have any cases, um, we'll have to see how this provision will be uh, interpreted. And in Germany, Thomas? Uh, well, Nick, um, the situation is quite similar to what Jonathan and, and China um, reported um, uh, for the other um, countries. <clears throat> there has to be paid a reasonable royalty. Um, that um, is determined uh, by the Federal Patent Court uh, in the main proceeding or in the main decision. Um, it will also, the court will also dis decide on the structure of the royalty. Um, but in most cases, you can expect that it will be a turnover-based royalty um, at the rate between 1 to 10 percent. That's the normal expectation. In the particular Eisentress case, um, the royalty was determined at 4 percent of the net sales. Um, so it, it's right in that range, um, which is very interesting for Germany. Um, and, and that's my first remark here um, um, regarding remuneration compensation is that um, um, the patentee can um, claim damages um, and has a damages claim for the time before the compulsory license uh, is granted because then uh, it was an infringing use, uh, which has to be kept in mind. Um, so um, it is not um, the royalty rate determined by the Federal Patent Court, which applies for that, but the normal uh, damages calculation, which could be also the profit made by the infringer, um, which has to be paid as, as damages here. And the second remark is with respect to the governmental use order, which is also very interesting here. Although, um, um, the patent is then used by third parties, uh, but not, not necessarily by the federal government. Um, the German federal government alone um, is obliged to pay reasonable remuneration in those cases, um, which goes then not through the um, administrative courts, but uh, through the normal courts, civil courts in Germany, because it's, it's for a remuneration or compensation, which is also a very specific thing in Germany. Thank you, Nick. And I guess in, in addition to the, the license of the patent right, um, a further possible requirement is uh, technical support, know-how, training. Is there any requirement, again, in any of the jurisdictions for the patent owner to, to provide that additional know-how or training? And if so, would that be compensated? I think in China and Singapore, I don't believe this specific regulation on this. Um, what about Hong Kong, Jonathan? Yeah, in Hong Kong, Nick, it would be required if such support is authorized or agreed to be provided under the terms of the license, uh, obviously. But in absence of such agreed terms between the parties, such support may still be required if the director thinks support is necessary. Now, he has to have regard to, to public health needs in Hong Kong, um, in the period of extreme urgency when, 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 when making that determination. 
But in any event, uh, in any case, the provision of know-how and support will be compensated if the director and the right holder agree to do so, or if the court determines to do so on the application submitted by the rights holder or any other person who is entitled to the claim. However, I, I should note that the 4% the, the royalty restrictions that I mentioned earlier is, is, is applicable to, to, to whatever sum is required to be paid. Mm -hmm. And, and Thomas, for Germany, what's the situation? So it, we, we are quite drastic in that respect because it's a compulsory license under, under the patent, under the specific patent. So um, you got um, the license under the patent, but nothing else uh, at the end. Uh, so the patentee has not, is not obliged to conduct any training or to provide any additional know-how in order to um, practice the patented invention. Um, and um, that's that's quite important uh, if it comes to the discussion regarding a governmental use order uh, in in the case of of production of of COVID nineteen uh, nineteen um, vaccines um, because um, a lot of know how is needed for those production and um, the compulsory license or the governmental use order wouldn't really help in that respect at least in Germany according to the current law. So before turning then um, to the, the, the topic of compulsory licenses during COVID, I'd just like to uh, see whether there are any limitations or restrictions on uh, the exploitation of the patent under a uh, compulsory license. So in China, for example, in the pharmaceutical field, there are some specific limitations about the number of drugs that will be manufactured and the destination, the geographical territorial destination of those products. There are labeling requirements so that the drugs are clearly uh, indicated to be manufactured under a compulsory license. And indeed that the, the drugs need to have specific colors or shapes um, to, to delineate them as such. And there are also re um, restrictions on the distribution channels uh, in which um, the goods are published and relevant websites are published. So for sure, there are some limitations in mainland China. What about for Hong Kong again, Jonathan? Any restrictions or specific requirements there? Uh, yeah, Nick. Um, in Hong Kong, the compulsory licensee is obliged to a duty of confidentiality. So even in the case of government use of the invention, in such case, the right holder has a basis of a claim against the compulsory licensee under common, the common law duty of confidentiality. And also, once the extreme urgency, which is one of the grounds to grant compulsory licenses, has ended, the licensee may make may take reasonable steps to recall or cause to recall any patented product imported under the compulsory license, surrender to the director or dispose of any patented product in possession or recalled. Now, the stalking of such patented product may amount to infringement of the patent concerned after the surrender or disposal from the effective date of the termination of the extreme urgency period. Now, of course, export or causing the disposed product to be exported out of Hong Kong is strictly banned. And besides Hong Kong, similar to China, the patented pharmaceutical product um, is to be clearly identified as being imported under the license through specific labeling or marking. And also, it should be distinguished from the same product made or um, made under the authorization of the proprietor of the patent concerned. Um, through special packaging, coloring, or shaping, as you just um, touched upon. But due to the territorial restriction, the patented pharmaceutical product, which is imported into Hong Kong under the license, it should not uh, is, it be exported out of Hong Kong. 
so those are the um, some of those restrictions. Great. So for the last section, last part of the podcast, I'd like to turn to um, the the situation of uh, the use of compulsory licenses during COVID. Um, we've touched on um, some examples of this. We touched a little bit on this uh, in the introduction as well. Um, but I'd like to get your views on whether compulsory licenses is a cure for distributing a cure for COVID. So maybe Sheena will start with you on this. Sure, thanks Nick. I think it's, you know, having these compulsory licensing regimes um, is important, um, but actually seeing them in use um, and being used in, during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic is another thing in, entirely. And if we look um, across Asia, there are actually no reported instances of compulsory licensing being used um, for the current COVID-19 pandemic, um, which in itself is quite interesting. Um, instead, I think what we've seen are other strategies that are being adopted um, to ensure the wider distribution of vaccines. So, for example, in October last year, Moderna um, announced that it would not actually enforce its patent rights uh, for the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and it announced that it would allow open access to others to use th its patents to manufacture vaccines. Um, and so I think this facilitates possibly increase in the production volume of vaccines by other companies. Um, and other collaborative efforts include in the community, royalty-free licensing um, of information, technical specifications, um, sharing of knowledge on a free-to-use basis, um, and non-enforcement declaration of patent rights. So we're, we're, look, we're seeing essentially other strategies uh, being used at the moment. Indeed, I, to take this a bit further, perhaps one of the reasons why compulsory licensing has not been widely used, if at all, is that it may not be necessary to use it in practice. Historically, governments have leveraged compulsory licenses to negotiate with drug companies in granting licenses. For example, in 2005, and uh, and I, I remember I remember this this drug um, quite clearly because it just followed uh, SARS in 2003, um, where, where, where the drug was quite popular as well. The Swiss-based pharmaceutical giant Roche bowed to international pressures for its oral influenza drug Tamiflu. At the time, governments were concerned with the potential public health threat posed by the avian influenza, and Tamiflu was considered the most effect efficient treatment at that time. As the possibility of compulsory licenses loomed, Roche later granted two licenses for the production of Tamiflu, one to Shanghai Pharmaceutical Group and the other to HEC Group. Now, a sub-license was also granted to an Indian pharmaceutical maker, Hetero Drugs, and the Pharmaceutical Administration Department of the Ministry of Health in Vietnam. Another good example um, that comes to mind is the patents on Imantinib in Thailand. These patents were held by Novartis. Uh, and they're used for treating leukemia and gastrointestinal stromal tumors. Now, after negotiations with the Thai government, Novartis agreed to promise its patented product free for cancer patients under Thailand's Universal Health Issue and Insurance Program. 
uh, this obviated the need for a compulsory license to be issued altogether. And it's, it's, it is a pretty good example of, 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 of a practical solution um, over, over the alternative. The possibility of being issued a compulsory license by the government, especially during an international health crisis, has probably impelled patent, compelled patent owners to be more proactive in negotiating licenses with governments and other manufacturers. But an observation may be made where it's, it can be seen as more commercial rather than legal, since there would be lesser economic benefit in the case of compulsory licenses. So in the worst case scenario, this would be a disincentive um, or private investments into research and development. So, I mean, this, you know, it sounds somewhat optimistic and positive that um, pharmaceutical companies are sort of voluntarily entering into these license arrangements and providing open access um, to their patents. But I suppose if you looked at the press, um, certainly over the last few months, you've been reading quite a lot about sort of the potential for a vaccine war to emerge. And certainly in Europe, we've had shipments of vaccines blocked and, and sort of vaccine nationalism uh, evolving. And I wonder, you know, have there been any regulatory um, exemptions or amendments to laws to try to preclude this nationalistic behaviour and try to enhance the access to vaccines? So, Sheena, any thoughts on that one? Um, so, I think my perspective is that it's, you know, unlikely that we're going to see legislative amendments to the compulsory or, or any tweaking to the compulsory licensing regime um, to deal with this situation. In general, the sentiment seems to be that um, patent holders um, of the vaccines are very keen to cooperate with governments um, and to look at you know, how they can actually help uh, to roll out um, vaccines. And for example, if we've also seen a situation, um, I think, which you mentioned, Nick, right at the very beginning um, of the pandemic in March 2020, um, Israel had effectively granted a compulsory license allowing the import of a generic version of AbbVie's product, Letra, um, which could be used to possibly have been shown as promising to treat COVID-19, but immediately uh, the patent on it, AbbVie announced that it would no longer enforce its patents the next day. So I think what you are seeing is companies are stepping up and cooperating. And so I think that is more likely to be um, how things develop. So does that mean that, you know, we don't need compulsory licenses then to promote and increase availability of COVID vaccines? I think in, in general, compulsory licensing could help increase the production and availability of vaccines in, in theory. Um, but I think the effectiveness of the compulsory licensing regime is really dependent on a number of factors. And so if we look, take, for example, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, um, and, you know, if a country had been able to um, use compulsory licensing to have the right to manufacture those vaccines, it would still run into the issue of whether they have the technological capability or even the 
necessary raw materials and information to um, manufacture and, and administer these vaccines. So I think because we are looking at um, sort of cutting edge technology here um, with the vaccines using messenger RNA instead of the traditional um, vaccines, um, countries may find it challenging to you know, effectively replicate the vaccines because of technical information, a lack of technical um, expertise and other materials. So I think even if we're looking at a country that does have the know-how, so um, countries um, with more sophisticated technology, I think you have the situation of scaling up production, um, which isn't something that you can do that quickly. Um, and so you may find that even with compulsory licensing, sort of being, it takes time to actually scale up and develop um, production. And so I think on the legal front, whilst compulsory, compulsory licensing does, I think, enhance accessibility to the patents, um, looking at you know how you can actually use that um, tool in relation to COVID-19 and production of vaccines in particular is probably uh, a different story. And so, for example, in the Philippines, manufacturing the vaccine on its own, um, you know, was would be quite challenging. And so, even though you you know countries may want to set up a local vaccine facility um, that, you know, that could take many, many years. So I think these are the issues that would be faced even if you do exercise um, or those rights. Indeed. Um, I think maybe just uh, as a, a last point before we um, bring things to a close, I think we should discuss just briefly the the recent uh, discussions around um, patent waivers for COVID vaccines. So, as I mentioned at the start, certainly the Biden administration in the US has um, declared its support for such waivers of vaccines to boost their production. And there's been discussion, obviously, at many levels in many jurisdictions and regions. Um, and the, the European position has, has um, not supported that um, Biden uh, administration approach. So I don't know, Thomas, if maybe you want to comment just a little bit about the issues there on the waivers. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And that's, I think, um, um, how to, to, to say it. it it's, it's, it's very similar to the discussion we have about compulsory license, the effect of compulsory licenses. Um, the patent waiver discussion is, is, could be compared um, and it, it, it could grant a greater accessibility and sharing of know-how and technology, but you have to consider that it's a patent waiver and not a technology waiver. So I think the discussion will be driven in, in that direction in the next uh, weeks and months. So it, it's not only about the patents, um, as Sheena also mentioned already. Um, um, and with respect to the patent waiver, we have to be in mind that um, it could have an effect of dampening um, the innovation, the entrepreneurial innovation, um, because you have to consider that um, the, the, the timely limited monopoly granted by a patent is one of the main drivers for technical innovation. So only, uh, only because of this timely limited monopoly, um, the, 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 the companies are prepared to conduct 
um, uh, innovative developments and to share the knowledge about that as a basis for further innovation in a patent uh, description. So that's, that's very important in that respect. And therefore, um, we have seen that um, the European governments are more or less, less, less a little bit reluctant to follow the US um, in, in, in that respect here, while um, the European Commission in between one week has changed a little bit its, its, its mind, uh, obviously, uh, because um, before the United States government has made this announcement, they clearly said, okay, we do not discuss this at all. Uh, but after the announcement, they had said, okay, we can discuss. The German government is, is very drastic. Um, they say, no, no, never. <laughs> we, will, we won't uh, discuss that. Um, but uh, what we have to consider also here, patents are one of the decisive variation factors of those many biotech innovative companies which are on the play here, uh, such as BioNTech, COVAC, Moderna. So they, they live uh, on, on their patent uh, protected uh, innovations. Um, and that can be seen also on the on this yeah drastic drop of the stock price immediately after the announcement of the US government. So it's 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 clear that's uh, um, very um, very important valuation factor. And um, what is also already mentioned by China, um, the patent waiver as such would not bring us uh, in short term to the production of vaccines or enough and sufficient uh, production because the production sites have to be constructed, they have to be validated, the technology has to be implemented, which is cutting edge technology for the mRNA uh, vaccines. So, uh, and there has to be a knowledge transfer, there has to be a training of the of the engineers. You, have, you need highly educated engineers to set up the um, production process. So, um, to put it in a nutshell, from my perspective, the discussion about the patent waiver is some some sort of a populistic approach to 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 tackle this actual issue we have that we are that we have not available enough vaccines um, currently in the pandemic, and we really uh, face also the situation that there's a certain vaccination nationalism. Um, we have seen it by the U.S. They have the Defense, of, uh, Defense Protection um, Act. They have, um, um, yeah, um, they have uh, uh, corset uh, vaccines and also other medical uh, uh, products cannot be exported out of the US as long as they are required in the US. India itself, as one of the initiator of the patent waiver trips uh, 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 initiative, um, has announced in January that um, nobody is allowed to export any vaccine, COVID vaccine, unless a certain um, uh, group uh, amount uh, uh, of, of, of people have been vaccinated in, in India. So it, 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 it sees that, uh, or it, it, it clearly shows for me that the patent waiver discussion is is certainly a good discussion, but it is not the cure here for the for the um, yeah for the, for the situation we we face currently. But nonetheless, uh, and that's my final remark on that, um, and that clearly shows the um, European action plan for IP compulsory licenses and and the um, the handling and, and uh, of patents. Uh, are in the focus of um, um, the future-facing enhancing of, of the IP systems. So the, the EU action plan discuss compulsory license not only 
with respect to healthcare needs, but also with respect to um, artificial intelligence and further innovations regarding blockchain. Um, and there also the aspect of compulsory licenses and, and accessibility of data and data collections come into play. So that's future discussions. And I think the current discussion we have uh, initiated by the pandemic is, is a good one because we have to really make up our mind uh, what we think is good to be patented and what limitations any patent should have. Thank you, Nick. So trying to um, maybe just draw things together, I think um, you can see that whether compulsory licenses are the answer to tackle the COVID pandemic is obviously a very complicated multifaceted issue it's certainly not straightforward and I think just looking at the legal side of compulsory licensing uh, the actual difficulties seem to be more the practical realities of the company or the country in which the license is to be uh, implemented in terms of their available know-how their training their resources um, uh, all of that would impact on whether a compulsory license in totality would be an effective strategy or mix. And I think certainly to date, we actually haven't seen very many compulsory licenses being granted in relation to COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and it sounds as if the general sentiment is that it is probably something of a last resort um uh you know obviously a pretty draconian and, and, and sort of heavy um strategy but that doesn't mean that compulsory licenses don't have a place uh and uh certainly e even in so far as they accelerate discussions with the pharmaceutical industry on collaborative arrangements and voluntary licensing of their rights minimizing delay of products coming to market all those sorts of things you know, compulsory licenses can be useful in that context. And for sure, for the rights owners themselves, it certainly is very important to have a, a full and detailed understanding of, of, you know, how they may be subject to compulsory licenses and what the impact might be from those. So hopefully those uh, discussions that we've had today will be helpful for them also. So thank you for joining us for this edition of On The Pulse. We hope that you found our discussions to be thought-provoking and insightful. If you'd like to discuss any of the topics covered, please do get in touch. To find out more about On The Pulse and the CMS Global Life Sciences and Healthcare Group, visit cms.law. Audio versions of On The Pulse are available through your usual podcast store.